Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 124, Nihor. What's happening? <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for showing up today. For those of you who came and found me on Instagram, I have a special thank you for you. My goal is to better show my purposes for Sister Scriptorian there on Instagram, to help us learn the Word of God and then to learn how to practice it, to take it from the philosophical where it's all in our head and we're musing about it and it just feels good and pretty in there, and then we learn how to apply it. And it gets messy when we apply it, right? So the goal is to help us liken the scriptures and then there on Instagram to show you the partnership of the coaching tools that I have to offer for those messy moments. So add me to the people that you connect with on Instagram. I find that the only downside to doing a podcast is that it sometimes feels like a one-sided relationship and I want to fix that. I don't want it to feel that way. So I'm taking action in areas that I don't necessarily feel naturally comfortable in doing so that I can better connect with you. So how's that for vulnerability, right? <laughs> All right, let's dive into the book of Alma. We have Mosiah who right before he died, he set up everything that he possibly could in order to be able to support his people in righteousness. And it's been interesting to be able to now look back and observe the gradual progression of the Nephites being given more and more responsibility over their personal salvation. So what do I mean by that? Think back when they were in the city of Nephi and it had become wicked and Mosiah had been commanded to leave. This is Mosiah the first. And he was told to take anyone who would hearken to the word of God. They were invited to depart with him into the wilderness to go find a new land. So if you just had a desire, if you had a desire to hear the word of God, if you had a desire to depart from wickedness, you were included. Then next came the blending with the Mulekites and assimilating to the land of Zarahemla and really all the attributes that that took. I imagine your desire then had to face a decision. Would you affiliate with those that believed or would you affiliate with those who didn't? Because there were, I mean, the Mulekites had no longer believed in God and had to be taught those things. So now you have a decision to make. You have a desire, then you have a decision. It's fortunate that your leader was made king over the people. And there were contentions, but it appears that things were being worked out and smoothed over. And then the next step came from King Benjamin. And though he was speaking to a crowd, he had the ability to speak directly to the heart of the individual, explaining the personal relationship that they needed in order to be able to come unto Jesus Christ. But that, that personal relationship with the Savior, offering the opportunity to covenant with God and to take upon themselves the name of Christ, which they chose to do. So a desire, decisions, covenants. Next came King Benjamin's son, Mosiah. 
and there were further growing pains, growth and dissensions in the church, gathering and fine-tuning their organizations. Next, they're welcoming Alma into their midst and allowing him to further organize them so that they were more accountable to one another. Desire, decisions, covenants, now more accountable to each other. Being reminded to repent, to work for their own support, always with the emphasis of building unity. But where much is given, you know, that opposition, it always comes up. And the church members needed to learn and experience how to live in harmony with dissenters, how to tolerate differences in choice, and to learn that to persecute someone who didn't belong to the church would be just as wrong as those who didn't belong to the church persecuting them. I could go on and get more detail. That could probably be an entire other podcast, really. But the point that I'm trying to make is that by degrees, the people were being prepared and matured for the moment that King Mosiah was now giving them. Mosiah offered them liberty a chance at self-government, the full weight of one's agency on their shoulders, and a system of laws given by God to help support them and their society so that they could prosper and continue to thrive. No longer would they have a man elevated to king, but instead they could reserve that title for the king of kings. I just feel like everything is being set right here. But it did take some maturing in order to be able to get there. When you read the last verses in the book of Mosiah, you see that the people, they knew the magnitude of the opportunity that they were being given and they were grateful, causing them to, I believe, even more fully reverence Mosiah, the good leader and the good man that he was. And with their voice, the people chose Alma to be their first chief judge. So now Alma, the son of Alma, has the records which Mosiah gave him to safeguard and to keep and to keep adding to. And he was the high priest of the church. And now by the voice of the people, he was the chief judge. Now, if one doubts the road of repentance and what it can actually do for someone, look at Alma. Look at how the atonement was sufficient to cleanse him from iniquity, to change his direction completely. Look how the Spirit of God was able to reside in him now that he chose to be born of the Spirit. Look how it energized and emboldened him. Look how because of the mercy of the Lord, Alma's natural talents and abilities, they were enhanced and used to do God's work among the people. Notice how his humility, it didn't weaken him. His admitting he was wrong didn't cast shame and ostracize him from the minds of the people, but he drew them unto him and and they responded in like manner. They could hear and witness the change in him. They recognized truth and they, they didn't hold his sins against him. So any fear that he may have had as far as rejection and loss only came unto him by those who remained in iniquity. Otherwise, the members of the church, they accepted him as their leader big steps of growth for all of the people. The Nephites had been blessed with many instruments to lead them right to where God could work among them. That's why the introduction of Nehor is 
oh, on one hand, so disappointing, yet on the other hand, totally to be expected. I guess sometimes the little girl in me still wants the fairy tale to happen, and they all lived happily ever after, right? But that isn't how mortality works. There is opposition in all things. There is the swinging of the pendulum. And the best way that I can think about it today in order to be able to articulate it is that blessings of peace and prosperity, of increased wisdom and revelation, both for the church and for the individual, is that it then equips you to be able to be prepared for the next battle to come. I hope that doesn't sound pessimistic. You can email me if it does. <laughs> I hope that it sounds more realistic and actually confident. Nothing has gone wrong. And we go through the battle, but then we're blessed and prospered to then be prepared to engage in the next one. So today's topic is one of those that I wish that I could have had more time to dissect. I know that the interdiction and the influence of Nihor will have lasting ramifications upon the Nephites. This isn't just a blip in their history. And it will especially show up in Alma's lifetime and in his entire ministry. Perhaps it even goes further. I wish I could have had more time to research. Perhaps when we're eventually done with the Book of Alma, which my goal is <laughs> by the end of this year, you're so patient with me. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I, my goal is that we'll see how the corrupted seeds of Nehor that he sowed, how it gave root to Korahor, the Antichrist, to rebellions and dissensions, to corruption, and also to loss of life. This isn't just a blip in the Nephite history. We see here the seriousness of the consequences that come when truth is twisted and when half-truths replace it or when truth is just completely rejected. No one is safe in a society when these sorts of things enter. That's why last week's podcast was necessary. I'm not sure it was the most alluring, but it was necessary to highlight the fruits that the Lord's instruments produce so that we can then better exercise discernment and not be deceived. Because the doctrine of Nehor, though we don't know much, what we do know, we can see. It's taught in our societies today. And I'm sure that there is someone close to you, I know there is to me, who you love dearly, who might be speaking its rhetoric today. Nehor was a large and strong man, and he circulated among the Nephites during this very first year of Alma's reign as chief judge, which took place somewhere between 91 BC to 88 BC. It's probably 91 BC, and by the end of this chapter, it's 88 BC. So we're within 100 years from the time that Jesus Christ will be born, and though it's taken 200 pages to cover 500 years, it'll take 200 pages to cover this 90-year period of time leading up to his birth. So I think Mormon found some important stuff during this time. And he thought it was valuable for us and for convincing the house of Israel that Jesus is the Christ. So we're not going to rush it. We're going to take our time with it. So Nehor went among the people preaching to them his version of the word of God. And in so doing, he felt it necessary to bear down against the church. 
He didn't just peacefully offer the people an alternative point of view about God and go about his own business of following the dictates of his own conscience, but he spent his time and the listening time of others to persecute the church. He came out in opposition to the church, actually speaking against the word of God. Interesting, isn't it? Nehor believed that there should be a professional clergy, that the priests and teachers should not spend their time laboring with their hands, but they should be supported by the people. So do you see what's happening here? In the very first year of the people's liberty, he is proposing a class system. In the very first year when everyone is supposed to now be equal, all having equal opportunity, not only in worship, but also in their political and their social class systems. Nehor wants to take back their liberty. And he wants to flatter them into believing that it's for the sake of the people. There needs to be others elevated above them. And the people should give the priests money, give them their own hard-earned money to support those being elevated above them. He also taught that all mankind should be saved at the last day, which would require little to no effort from the individual. Think about that philosophy and where that shows up in our societies. No need for modification of our behaviors, no need for discipline or for spiritual sacrifice. We see that, don't we? This whole philosophy and belief that Nehor taught, it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do, God will save. In fact, he taught the people there's no need to fear or tremble about this because the Lord had created all men and it is all men who he plans to redeem and all will have eternal life. So there's no need for repentance because there is no sin. There's no need for governing of personal behavior because there is no consequence and there is no need for personal effort. Simply put, because you exist, you'll receive eternal life. This is a seek after pleasure. Don't hold me accountable. Pluck off the expectations and the qualifications that are put upon me and just find happiness in whatever corner you choose. That's the sort of religion that Nehor proposed. I don't even know why he needed to have priests who were supported by the people. This religion of the world is what many Nephites fell for. They gave him money to support him in his work, and he showed off their support through the wearing of costly apparel and the elevated pride within him. And whenever I see pride, I think in my mind to help give me clarification, I think of the four C's, conflict, competition, conceit, and lack of confidence. And Nehor definitely fits the first three. Though if we were to dig into his psyche, we could show that he fits the last one as well. That last one is always coming up for us when we're exercising pride. So, so far, Nehor is proposing and professing an opposing view. Yet the problem is, is he's also doing that and bearing down against the church. And on a particular day, when he was going around preaching, he met a man who belonged to the church. And this man was a teacher within the church. And Nehor contended with the man sharply. And this man, Gideon, withstood Nehor and admonished Nehor with the word of God. Remember Gideon? 
Gideon is the same man we read about who contended with Noah until he saw the Lamanites coming upon them. He is also the man that assisted Limahai's people, proposed the plan even on how they could escape from Lamanite bondage. In fact, in Alma verse 8, Mormon refers to Gideon as being an instrument in the hands of God in delivering the people of Limhi out of bondage. Gideon was forthright, he was fearless, and I believe he had astute judgment. In the contention with Nehor, though, it became physical, and Gideon, who was aged at this time, he couldn't withstand the blows of Nehor's sword, and Nehor killed Gideon. So the man who had delivered the people out of physical bondage, and then he taught the word of God in order to be able to deliver them out of spiritual bondage, was now killed by the man who desired to do the opposite. That's not good. So brought before Alma to receive his judgment, Nehor pled for himself with much boldness, the scriptures say. But Alma's judgment, and it was according to the law's that were given to them by Mosiah was that Nehor should be punished by death. Because Nehor had not only committed priestcraft, introducing that to the people for the very first time, but he coupled that with murder. Nehor was taken to a hill and caused, or rather did acknowledge that what he had taught the people was contrary to the word of God. And there he suffered an ignominious death. But it's that word caused. (laughs) It makes me wonder how sincere that confession was. It's also the little effect that his confession had upon his followers that also makes me curious how sincere this was. Alma testified that priestcraft, once enforced among the people, it would prove their entire destruction And we'll see next week how tragedy, I guess that's a good word, it did enter their lives as a lingering effect of Nehor's doctrine and teachings. The death of Nehor did not bring an end to priestcraft. There were too many people now who loved the vain things of the world. And so they preached, they continue to preach this false doctrine, professing it as their belief, and they reaped money from those who fell for it. And this practice, it brought a division among the people. Those after the order of Nehor continued to persecute the church, despising the members' humility. And though experiencing persecution could not have been easy, there were blessings that did come to those members who just stayed the course. And this is the lesson for me that I can take away today. To stay the course despite the adversity. Because I truly desire to stay the course and not get swept up by the confusion and the contention that persecution creates and operates within. But some Nephites did get swept up and they became proud and they contended with their adversaries despite the strict rules not to. And then things became physical and hearts were hardened and discipline action took place Names were even blotted out or members removed themselves. This must have been heartbreaking and perhaps even unnerving. So much happening during the first few years of their governing system. That could cause like some feelings of insecurity and instability. However, 
the Lord did not forget those who bore with patience the persecution. The Lord did not forget them. He didn't abandon them in the very moments that they were exercising their faith in him. It's here, starting in verse 26, that Mormon contrasts the members of the church with the order of Nehor. For they, meaning everyone within the church, labored with their own hands, according to their own strength for their support. The preacher wasn't higher than the hearer, and just like the hearer would leave their duties to come here, the teacher would leave their duties to come and teach. They continued to impart of their substance to the poor, the needy and the sick, and they did so liberally. They were not respecters of persons. If someone was a need member or not, they were assisted. And despite the persecutions, they continued to work on the affairs of the church, and the people prospered. They grew in their flocks and in their crops and in the accumulation of riches, Yet they remained humble in their apparel, and Mormon points out that the people were neat and comely. Oh, I just believe that this has so much application for our day. It gives us a roadmap on just how we can exercise our faith and not be swayed and just stay the course. So how can we liken this to our day? Just like last week. We can use all this information to increase in wisdom and discernment. We can observe that through half-truths and twists of truth, the adversary brings us and our society into spiritual bondage. How the door to iniquity is opened is when such twists of truth like the Lord redeems all and eternal life is for all It's when those things are introduced into society and it begins to eliminate and preach a philosophy of no personal accountability being needed and the need to govern our choices not necessary. We learn here from Alma chapter 1 that the ailments of our society today are for sure a result of a displacement of eternal truths that have now led us into spiritual bondage. We can see how deep and lasting these doctrines can be because it appeals to the natural man in us, right? These doctrines do not teach us to put off the natural man. And also we can observe the pros and cons of the reactions of the church members. Sister Scriptorians, we live in days in which these lessons can be applied today as we live in a world that has moved further away from God. 